Welcome to Blood, Fear, and Beer, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about horror movies. I'm Alicia. I'm Greg. Hi, Greg. Hi, Alicia. That is a giant beer you're holding. What is that? It's a giant, delicious bottle of Tangerine Express. Wait for it. IPA. What? Is it? Wait. Is it from Stone? It's from Stone. Oh my god, my no way. <laughs> and this is one of, like, a recent... I guess I'm not, I don't know how long they've been brewing it, you know? But, um, and I'm, I guess I, I never used to be into the tropical stuff as much, but now that I'm thinking about it, I think I've kind of grown on me, and it's just, I'm not as usually into the orange one, but this, and this is a tangerine, and it's just a surprisingly refreshing, invigorating, citrusy, it's even got some pineapple in there, which I don't normally like all that yeah, much, but I it's do. like the right blend of pineapple and of tan- tangerine and then of course the you know the hops and it's just a really nice like weak weak beer a weak beer not like it's a weak ass bitch yeah. but like monday through friday week okay week so beer. you can like finish that whole giant thing yeah like it's okay. not like a super high um for like an ipa it's not uh, it's like a 6.7 6.7 okay. i guess that's decent yeah, yeah that's but. That'll get you going if you haven't. I mean, I have a pretty strong tolerance. Yeah, I don't. Can I? This will be a little out of character, but can I try? That doesn't sound like you at all. Yeah, and then smells good. It's super delicious. Mm. And then I've had that at the actual brewery too. So like on tap, and it's it's like yeah. But I mean, even that one out of the bottle, like surprisingly good. And that one's kind of fresh. You know what? I you know how much I hate IPAs because I just I have some kind of genetic thing that makes me hate bitterness it's the mustard gene yeah it's the mustard gene like if you a lot of people have a specific gene that means you don't like bitter things and usually that includes mustard but this is actually pretty good like i don't think i can drink it it's a little bit too bitter but i can definitely taste some of the flavors you're talking about now the glass i see in your hand i cannot see your hand on the other side of it because it is pure blackness yeah what are you drinking i got myself a stout a stout, huh? <laughs> yeah. What kind? So, I've never had this one before. It's a new one. It's from the Garage Brewing Company, and it is a peanut butter and chocolate milk stout. Mm. And it's awesome. Is it peanut butter and milky? You know, it's definitely milky. I don't really taste the peanut butter. I can taste a hint of chocolate, milkiness, and then there's like just that malt flavor that you get with a good stout. Mm. And when I bought it, I was almost a little bit worried that it was going to be too sweet or, like, sugary. Because some of the stouts that are, like, peanut butter, chocolate, all the different flavors, they can almost taste kind of syrupy. Yeah, they're, they can be rich. Yeah, rich. But it's it's really not. It's good. And it's, like, a 7.1%, so higher than most of the other beers that I drink. Mm-hmm. But not super high for a stout because they're usually, you know, they can be anywhere from 8 to 12%. Yeah, yeah, stouts yeah. can... They'll knock you out. Yeah. It's good, though. Nice. Want to try it? Sure. I know you don't like stouts very much, but... I like some of them. You know, it's just like the the chocolate chocolate aspect. I I don't... I'm like a freak. I don't like chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty... It's not, like, super rich. No. It's good. And now that I'm getting that back back, back layer of chocolate, it's always there. Just the hint, right? Every time I, like... Just the tip. Get the taste of the (laughs) stout, I'm like, oh, yeah, and then just slides in the back. Chocolate. I love it. It tastes... It's good, though. I can see why you like it. I feel like we're so excited to have new beers that we're going to talk about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> I know. Well, they're I'm so excited. <laughs> and we normally don't get to, we don't like treat ourselves with new beers as often yeah. as we should. But 
we figured, you know, we're talking about beers and movies. We gotta try out some new beers on our podcast. I'm really excited to try all the other ones we got. I went on our weekly shopping run yesterday and I went to Trader Joe's this time because I, you know, I try not to go as often as I possibly can, even when we're not in quarantine. So when I do go, I stock up. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good place to get new beer. Yeah, that was a good thought because we tried going to our local Ralph's and they had like zero options. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Especially for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, they had like a few IPA and stuff. But then I like, I never trust the beers over there because I've always been, flat. Yeah, I've, oh, I've got so, so many flat beers that way. I either have to get it from like an actual beer and wine place or yeah. Trader Joe's is usually pretty good too. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see all you the You just have to deal with had. all the old ladies knocking your ankle down. Yeah. Every time. Every time. This time was a little better because they were spacing out how many people could go in the store, but I still had to literally, like, dive out of the way yeah. for their shoppers and their carts. Cost of doing business at Trader Joe's. Yeah. So I devised a fun new activity for this episode in celebration of the movie that we're covering because, as I mentioned in our last episode, the movie I picked, The Fly, has some of the best practical effects I've ever seen. And now that I've seen it, I can second that. You can agree, right? Yes. It's awesome. So I thought it would be fun for us to each come up with a list of our top five favorite horror creatures of all time. Nice. And I don't know what you picked, and you don't know what I picked, but I'm sure some of them, if not most of them, will probably overlap. Just counting down from five, we can kind of go back and forth. And did you want to get us started? Do you want to tell us your number five so I actually found this to be a really daunting task because at first I couldn't think of all that many. And then once the proverbial juices started flowing, then I thought of too many. Mm-hmm. And I felt and I, like there was things that were historically awesome, but then I've seen like new characters or new creatures that like really kind of blew me away in recent years. But I can't say that necessarily they're going to have the same lasting effect as some of the like classic creatures and so i i had a hard time justifying like what to use for the grading criteria yeah and so i basically just did whatever the fuck i felt like nice (laughs) and um so it's in it's not like in an order of like literally the best creatures or the scariest or anything it's like a combination of super awesome well done and i like it so you want me to start with five yeah, start with your number five. All and right, then I'll let do me mine. see. I have like a whole list of honorable mentions, so let me see. Yeah, we'll do those after. I have a bunch of those too. Okay, this one is going to be again. I can't. I had a really hard time deciding here, <laughs> so I'm going to do a combo on this one because it's from the same movie. Okay. And there is like two really cool things in it. Okay. And I had a hard time picking which one. And if you really want to like. Bash a beer bottle over my head. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you which one it is. I do. I'm bashing it over your head. Well, what I'm gonna it? tell you what both are. So okay. <laughs> they're both from the somewhat recent movie Annihilation, and the two are the bear character creature, if you will. That if you've ever seen that movie, I guess we, I guess we can ruin it, right? That's what our podcast does, or not? I was kind of thinking for this list, we would try to try not to try okay, not so to I'm as not much gonna as do possible. That. But there's like but, a really cool. But you can describe it. Yeah. There's like this uh, amalgamation of a woman trapped inside of a monstrous, like, grizzly bear. Yeah. And she, like, when the bear growls, you can hear this woman screaming in, like, utter pain. 
and suffering like she's like trapped inside of this thing and knows she's in there and it is like the first time I saw it I had not seen anything like that and it was nuts yeah and it was a cool creature yeah and it wasn't like over the top so that that was one um of for five and then tied for that is the actual shimmer character like the shimmer doppelganger yes at the end of the so movie amazing and yeah. I can't really like that was one of the things like I don't necessarily feel like that creature was anything to stand out like super amazing but that whole it had a sequence presence. was uh, it was like the movie version of Tool yes the band I agree and so I, awesome because of the feelings that that sequence gives me and that end of that movie that creature like had to take that pick, and if he had a bastard beer bottle over my head, I would pick the shiver person again because of the like the feeling attached, and you were cursing me silently under your breath because <laughs> I think I also had one of yours. So. I think I am not going to be shocked if we literally have identical <laughs> list because my number five was also the bear from Annihilation. Nice. <laughs> I really didn't think you were going to pick that one. I'm so excited that you did. Like that, I saw that one in theaters, that movie in theaters with my dad before I forced you to go back with me and see it again. That creature was pure nightmare fuel the first time. I, well, both times I saw it. I, I don't know. I think I've seen that movie maybe three times now. I don't know. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. But exactly like you said, it's this prehistoric bear-type creature that looks like it's almost rotting, like it has an exposed skull, its flesh is hanging off of it, and it emits the human screams of the people it has killed. Yeah. Like, sheer <laughs> nightmare really fuel. It's cool. terrifying. Super awesome. So that is a great pick. And the Shimmer person also. Basically, everything in that movie yeah. was nightmare that fuel. That movie is gorgeous. Yeah. Highly recommend. Please watch that movie if you haven't seen it. It's on a bunch of different yeah. streaming services, I think. I think Apparently it's on Netflix. Been, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure it's on Netflix right now. But check it out. Okay, so since I took your fifth. <laughs> oh, I like this. Okay, you want me to How do How about you do your fourth? That's a good idea. We're probably going to have to probably. keep doing that. Okay, so my number four, I had to go with the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Nice. All of them. All of them? All of them. Just okay. as a group. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's cheating or not, but I, I kind of see them as like one entity or one group. But I, I don't necessarily, it's been so long since I've seen it. I just remember like Pinhead and I think there was one called the Chatterer. I don't really remember all of their names, mm-hmm. but those were some of the coolest looking horror creatures I've ever seen. And it's also some of the first that I ever saw that made a huge impact on me as a horror fan. That's a good point. So I had to go with those. And then I looked them up again just to get another look at them, and they are so well done. They look so realistic. They're terrifying. Yeah, they still look amazing, and they're cool and creepy as hell. So I had to go with that. Nice. What's your number four? My number four? Well, if you're going to like combine a whole world of creatures like that, <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> Sorry, I should have clarified. <laughs> I, basically, everything that Guillermo del Toro does, mm-hmm. I think, is just masterfully done for sure it, like as far as the artwork and the creatures and the just the set work that he does is just gorgeous gorgeous work and i love his style and i love how majestic and fanciful but also dark and ghoulish and then there's a little bit of a cartoonish element too so it takes a little bit of the 
you know, the, the, the scariness away, mm-hmm. but just just enough so that you actually kind of appreciate the creatures a little bit more and the artwork a little bit more, because it's a little bit more of a fantasy type of thing. Yeah, that's really well put. Yeah. So I would just wrap everything up in a ball and say Guillermo del Toro uh, creatures. But if I had to pick one, I was going back and forth between the uh, the Pale Man mm-hmm. um, in Pan's Labyrinth, which is the uh, creature that is... If you've ever seen that movie, um, there's a scene when Philia has to go in and like get the key, I think it is? Yeah. She has to get the key, and there's like this child-eating creature that is sitting there at this banquet of food, this feast of food at a table that is just like, again, almost like a sagging, fleshy creature, very gaunt and thin, and its skin is like sagging off of it. It has no eyes and just these little pinhole nostrils and no hair and like these long fingers. And when uh, Ophelia touches the uh, forbidden food because she's not supposed to touch any of the banquet then he like all of a sudden jerks alive and he has these like rapid jerky motions and he has like he can't see so he's fumbling around but then he has like eyes in the palms of his hands so he's like almost like he's reaching in the dark so he gets like some view of what's going on but it's just like a really cool and especially for a kid like I can imagine how horrifying that is so it was a toss-up between the Pale Man and um, the Angel of Death. Oh, so good. Which is in um, Hellboy, Hellboy 2. Hellboy 2. Yes. Which has a lot of really cool creatures. It really does. That's a good pick. So am I on three of them? Yes. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Another uh, toss-up? Yeah, God, man. It's hard. Well, remember, we, have, we can do honorable mentions, too. Okay. But... Well, this one was a toss-up between the T-Rex and Jurassic Park. Oh, nice. And Jaws. Nice. Which I both love. And Jaws is, like, one of my favorite movies. But I guess if I really had to go with it, like, I Jurassic Park, to this day, like, watching that on surround sound, like, I love the special effects in that. Yes. And it was just so cool. Like, that's one of the best dinosaur scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And still such an amazing horror moment in a movie mm-hmm. that's not considered a horror movie. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. So There's like good. so much about that, that build up and the oh, it's so good. So I I'm gonna have to go with the the T Rex on this one. Nice. So my number three was the thing from the movie The Thing. Nice. <laughs> you see it really in a lot of different forms. You don't really know what it looks like, but that movie also has some of the best practical effects I have ever seen, and it holds up so well. Basically, like, I don't want to give too much away, like I said, but this thing at one point, like, it seems like every time it's discovered as inhabiting one of the people at this base in Antarctica, it, like, bursts out of their body and tries to escape. And the way that this is portrayed, it's like that classic, gooey, latex, rubbery, just stretchy, Mm. nasty gore, and it looks so cool and it holds up so well and then as it's like bursting out of these people and elongating and stretching like these tentacles burst out of it it makes this awful high-pitched screeching sound again without giving anything away but the blood test scene in that movie is still one of my favorite horror scenes of all time it's amazing so good i had to go with that one for my number three nice that is a great pick thank you so i'm on two then and now my list is out of order because i'm out of whack (laughs) <laughs> so, 
I <laughs> am going to have to go with with Jonathan. That's how my order was supposed to go. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I, I kind of got those backwards. That's, no that's all good. Yeah. Again, just because it's, one, I absolutely love sharks and great white sharks. And I always have, like, ever since I was a kid. I've been fascinated. I mean, a lot of boys are, obviously. And kids, you know. But I just, I've always been this combination of absolute terror because I feel like they're just one of the most scary things that you can possibly encounter in the open water. And respect. They're just gorgeous, gorgeous creatures. They're almost, you know, they're practically prehistoric. I have respect for how long they've been around. I have respect for the type of predators they are. Just their absolute staying power. Yeah. So, Jaws is just, like, a great representation of everyone's fears and, like, bringing to the forefront just how powerful that fear and also how much we need to respect them. Yeah, well said. It's so primal. Very. I I was tossing that one around for a little while so that, you know, I had to Mm -hmm. put that on my honorable mentions list along with the T-Rex from Jurassic Park because just so cool. Nice. So, that brings me to my number two, which... Not surprisingly, you already touched on. (laughs) And my number two was The Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. And I will never forget, as long as I lived, the first time I saw that in theaters. And it put the fear in me. It was absolutely terrifying. Just this, you already described it. But I think the worst part of that was just the waiting. Like, you don't really know what this thing is. All you have to go off of is the pictures Mm -hmm. on the wall of this thing Eating, eating babies, <laughs> eating yeah, babies. babies, yeah. And then you look in the corner, and there's just a pile of shoes. shoes. Holy shit! Oh. And it's just sitting there, not moving, and you're just watching it the entire time. Like, when's it gonna move? What is that thing? Yeah. What's it gonna do? And then when it does, it's just like I said, pure nightmare mm. fuel. It's terrifying. It's just like getting chased. Oh and, my uh, god! Ugh. And it ugh, so just, good. I can't. <laughs> it still <laughs> terrifies me when I watch it. That's a great one. Should we both say our number one at the same time? Because we we know. <laughs> yeah, we'll spare you all the back and forth because, you know, of course we're going to have the same number one, but it's Xenomorph. Xenomorph. Of best, course. Best creature of all time. Yeah. Love that movie. I mean, Love that yeah. creature. No explanation needed. It's just yeah. the best of all time. It's absolutely terrifying. It looks amazing. So many things have been inspired by this creature. So many other horror movies have been inspired for their own ideas because of this creature yeah. like it's iconic number one hands down yep number one xenomorph the best nice well that was fun i mean yeah. it was very apt considering we're going to be talking about a ghoulish creature oh i guess we should do honorable um, mentions right yeah and it, like you said this was a really daunting task and it was hard to really come up with five creatures so i did make a small list of honorable mentions that I also feel need to get some credit. Okay, you'll probably hit on mine too. Yeah. So the first one I have, um, I'm not going to say anything at all about it. I'm just going to say the creature from The Ritual. Nice. That's all I'm going to say. No, just watch it. No nice. explanation. That'd what do you one. got? Um, Predator. <laughs> nice. Same. I almost put that one. Yeah. I, I used to love that when I was younger. I thought it was like a really cool character and it tied in again with the or they try to tie it in with the alien world and whatnot. Yeah. And pretty much all of those have been pretty terrible movies. Yeah. But um, I like the I like the vibe and I like the just the the scheme of that dude. 
You're not going to believe this, but I have never seen the original Predator. Oh, shit. So we should add that to the list, Yeah, right? Yeah, I've never seen it. You gotta see it. I think the original still is... is that it? was the best one. Yeah, okay. I think. Is that with I don't Arnold? know if that holds up. With Arnold? Yeah, you gotta love Arnold. You gotta love Arnold, yeah. Come on. But that's the one, right? That's the original. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't I've know, seen like Alien vs. Predator, and it you... sucked, but it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good creature thing, I guess. It's a hoot. Um, another one that I had was uh, Freddy Krueger, because nice. that's, like, a really terrifying character. Yeah. I'm not into slasher movies, usually. Yeah. And he still holds up, like, the idea behind him and the blade hands and him coming in your dreams and the burnt flesh, and you kind of, you know, especially once you find his backstory that he was, like... A pedophile. A pedophile, and he was, like, burned alive by the local moms and dads and yeah. shit. Like, that's a cool character. Yeah, Freddy... Is still an iconic horror figure mm-hmm. and still terrifying. And I'm really excited to do Nightmare on Elm Street again because that is I'm also not a slasher fan, but I absolutely love that movie. Yeah. So. What else you got? I also had uh, I just wrote anything from Hellboy two. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about the Angel of Death and everything All from Hellboy two yeah. is awesome. And I also had to write down Pyramid Head from the Silent Hill movie. Yes. I grew up with those games and. I've played a lot of horror games, like survival horror is my jam when it comes to video games, but the Silent Hill series, I still think is the best video game horror series ever made. And the first, I'll never forget the first time I was playing and that character showed up, just, I think you're in a locker room or something and he just busts in there out of the blue after like over an hour of nothing happening. (laughs) And it's like, holy shit, what is that? (laughs) And he never stops coming for you. Yeah. I also yeah. had him as an honorable mention. I never got into those games, and that movie wasn't particularly good, but that character and that scene where he just, like, rips off that woman's flesh, like a, you know, like she's just wearing a cloak. Oh my god, And I he know. just, like, slaps it against the door. Like, holy shit. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I had two other ones that you haven't already touched on, and one of them is uh, Terminator. Oh, nice. Just, like, the actual, like, skeletal Terminators, yeah. you know? Like, I think those were pretty cool. And then, after watching the movie we're about to talk about, Brundlefly was just so good. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Really, really yeah. well done. I really should have put him on my list. It's just, like, I figured since we were doing that movie, yeah. but, yeah, it really needs to be said. That was so awesome. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, special effects go, that was, that should have been in the top five. Yeah. For sure. But, I agree. You know, again, if we weren't talking way. about this movie already, it probably wouldn't have been. Right. Something might have gotten booted out. And the last one I have, I had to put this in here, is the merman from Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> Do you remember? No. Okay. Okay, you have to you have to watch it again. Okay. I'm not I'm not gonna give anything away because it's kind of a thing it's in a the thing? movie. It's kind oh, of a okay. thing, but the merman from Cabin in the Woods. Okay. It's both hilarious and Really cool looking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to it, it does, try to touch on that again. It does some really. Like the awesome first time things. I watched that, I was kind of zoned out, and then once I understood what was going on after seeing it the oh, first yeah. time, then like I appreciated it. I but love yeah. that movie so much. I know it's so good. <laughs> it's a hoot. It is. Yeah, I'm really impressed with your list. That was awesome. There were some on there that I didn't even think of. So nice. Nicely done. Yeah, that was a fun game. Okay, so this episode was my pick, and as you know, I chose The Fly from 1986, directed by David Cronenberg. 
And I know you'd asked me where you know that name from because it sounded really familiar. And mm-hmm. he has done he's done all kinds of movies, but the ones that we've seen include he did a history of violence. Nice. That was a good movie. Eastern Promises. That was good. He loves Figo. Both yeah. of them have Figo Mortensen in them. And uh, The Dead Zone, the Stephen King adaptation, that which which I really like. Yeah. yeah. And other well-known movies that he's done that are specifically horror are Videodrome, Scanners, Dead Ringers, which I haven't seen any of those, but he's a pretty well-known horror director. So the other ones, did he direct them, write he, them, or write and direct? He for sure directed them. I'm not sure how many of those he wrote. Okay. I know for, for this movie, uh, he co-wrote it with somebody else. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, the guys know what he's doing. Yeah, he knows what he's doing, and he, up until he started branching out a little bit after, I think it was after this movie, he was really well known for what's considered body horror. And body horror is not my favorite subgenre, mm-hmm. because I get super grossed out super easily. But this is probably one of the best body horror movies out there, in my opinion. And there aren't a lot of horror movies that focus solely on that, uh, like, throughout the whole movie. But so many movies use, like, moments of that or aspects of that just to kind of drive the horror and drive the fear. Mm -hmm. But uh, just to clarify, body horror would be defined as... I wrote, I wrote down the exact definition. It's a subgenre that intentionally showcases graphic or psychologically disturbing violations of the human body. Violations? So, okay. Yeah. So just that can be anything from, I mean, I guess you could call some of the stuff that happens in like Saw or hostile body horror, but I just think of that as torture porn, like we've said before. Mm-hmm. But it can also be transformations, mutations, illnesses, just like really unspeakable or horrifying things being done to the human body. See, that's what I think of when I think of body horror. Yes. Because, like like you said, Saw and particularly Hostile and stuff like that, I consider that, like, gore porn yeah. or when it's, like, just kind of, like, acts of violence so much. Yeah. Things like that. I consider that more of a that, that genre. But to me, body horror is when, typically, when, like you said, like, it's the transformations, it's diseases, it's kind of like the something happening to the body either like inside out or by some abnormal or paranormal force yeah that like they don't have control over or some you know whatever it is going on but it, i don't usually consider it like an uh, an act of violence yeah now, it can be but it that's can not be, really for sure yeah it, it's very specifically like physical things happening to the human body mm-hmm. Like I said, there are so many movies that have aspects of body horror, and I wrote down a couple just to give people an idea, but there's obviously this entire movie would be considered a body horror. I would consider the transformations in The Thing to Big be time. body yeah, horror. Yeah, that was like number one in my head. Yeah, for sure. And I also um, wrote down The Exorcist, like what happens to Reagan as she becomes inhabited by this demon. She has no control over it. It's literally taking over her body. It's covering her in lesions and sores spinning her head around that would be considered body horror Um, even though the entire movie itself is not considered a body horror so many films use elements of that right i also wrote down stir of echoes because we just talked about that the dream scene where he pulls out his tooth is a good body horror moment okay and black swan as well yeah lots of things in Mm -hmm. black swan and 
I'm not going to give anything away again, but there is a scene in the recent remake of Suspiria that is some of the most horrific body horror I've ever seen. <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. You remember? Like, you know, to see what I'm talking, the dance scene? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, check it out. It's on Amazon Prime if you want, if you want to know what I'm talking about. Uh, don't watch it while you're eating and don't watch it if you're squeamish in any way, shape, or form because it's intense. Yeah. But great body horror scene. <laughs> I definitely have that one. Yeah. <laughs> I will give it that. Yeah. Before we get into the whole movie discussion, I just have to give a shout out to the guy who did the makeup for this movie. His name was Chris Wallace. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also known for creating the gremlins from the movie. Gremlins. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So he's well-versed in horror creatures, but I couldn't help but smile when I read this. Um, you know how horror movies always get snubbed at the Oscars? Right. This one won an Oscar for best makeup. So he took oh, the nice. Oscar for best makeup. And the part that made me smile so much was that I read on IMDb that when people went to go see this movie in theaters... When the credits started rolling and his name popped up, people literally stood up and cheered, like, in the movie theater. Hell yeah. When they saw that guy's name. I'm like, I've literally <laughs> never heard of that. That no, is so awesome. not for a awesome. makeup artist. Yeah. yeah, and not for a horror movie. Yeah, like, that's for... awesome. Well, this is... Like, I, I had never seen this before. Yeah. And even today, that's what's so great about practical effects, is that they're timeless. They're virtually timeless, you know, and it was so well done. And you recommended that I rewatch the transformation scene before we talked about this. Yes. <laughs> and I did, and it really sent it home for me. It right? just, it just, it is so well done. Yeah. And it is scary, and it is gross, and it's also really just tragic. It is. It's like desperately sad. Yes. It really is. And yeah, just for everyone who's wondering, like I, uh, today and yesterday, I was just hounding Greg. I'm like, okay, if you have time, you have to look up and watch the last five to seven minutes of the movie where he does the final transformation, and I guarantee it will bump up your rating. Mm-hmm. And it did very well done. I watched it two more times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so awesome. Yeah, this was another one of those situations where you're watching not only like an older movie, like from the 90s or whatever, but... Yeah. I mean, this literally came out the year I was born. Yeah. So, you know, automatically I'm going into it thinking, how good can it be? Because things get dated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing about this that I would consider dated. Really. Not at all. I, I mean, obviously, you know, there's the, the time frame, so there's, like, technology and stuff like that that's different. But yeah. as far as, like, things in the movie just not really being congruent or... Uh, there being weak spots, story not being well done, dialogue not being well done, any of that kind of stuff. Like every, it just hit the nail on every single head. It did. I I am so happy it held up as well as it did because I I honestly haven't seen this movie since high school, maybe even earlier. It's been such a long time, and I remember it being fantastic. I remember loving it. I remember. The effects being so amazing, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure how well it was going to hold up, and how the dialogue was going to be, and how the pacing was going to be, and I was just blown away all over again. Yeah, so good. It was a good pick, and I'm glad I finally watched it. I'm so glad you did. Just to give a quick synopsis of what this movie is about, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's a pretty simple plot. It's just. A, a scientist invents a device that allows organic matter to teleport. So he invents a teleportation machine 
And, you know, one night when he recklessly tests the machine on himself, a fly accidentally slips into the machine with him, and mayhem follows. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty quick <laughs> to the point. Yeah. And um, initially, it wasn't just organic matter, right? He was, yeah, it started he was off only like, working yeah. for... Um, that's like the first piece of body horror we actually get in the movie, is when he does try to do it on this poor little... Was it a baboon? It was a baboon, the yeah. poor little baboon puts him in there and then comes out the other side and he's just this monstrous inside-out baboon that's shrieking oh, in pain. It was terrible. Oh, and then he's just like, and uh, Gina Davis, like, what happened? He's like, I think he turned inside-out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just turned completely inside-out. Inside out. That's like the first <laughs> horror moment that you get. And yeah. This movie also has like a really compelling love story it does i was yeah. i was impressed with how much they did with basically just three characters you know there's every once in a while there's like a, a side character or something like that or not even not really though. like one or two tops yeah and maybe a couple sentences yeah you know just because they're interacting but it was basically a watching this i really felt like i was watching a play exactly yeah you know very intimate play these characters were just divulging themselves to us. We were getting very intimate pieces of their life and the way they interacted with each other. And there was just this feeling of just rawness all the way around. Yeah. Everything about it just felt very raw. Yeah. You hit it on the head. Like, we, we had talked about it a little bit as we are watching it. Like, it really... We've been to a couple plays. We're not, you know, well-versed in going to live theater performances, the theater. (laughs) But we've been to a couple shows and watching this movie really did feel like seeing a live play where you, it's so intimate. It's so theatrical. You have this orchestra score that permeates the entire movie. And basically, like you said, three characters that carry the entire story between just a couple locations. Yeah. I was going to say that that was the other thought I had. I was trying to, get out that wasn't coming out was the sets it was mm-hmm. a very limited amount of sets too so yeah. that was the other thing that made it kind of feel like a play because you were really only in you know maybe three locations throughout yeah. most of the movie one thing you had mentioned in the beginning was that this was like a love story and i think we should just kind of touch upon that a little bit more especially for people that haven't seen it before yeah so what you get out of this is again there's basically only the three characters so you have gina davis who's a writer for like a magazine you get, or um, maybe yeah. a newspaper. Or yeah, I think like she's that. a journalist for a magazine, and her name is Veronica. In the okay, movie. and yeah. then you have uh, Jeff Goldblum, who we all know and love. Yes. And he's just fantastic. <laughs> I was actually joking with Felicia while we were watching this, because I'm like, are we, is he like really a creep sometimes? Like, are we allowed to like him? Like, I couldn't, there's this part of me that feels like <laughs> he's just too good to be true, I guess. Like, I sh- is there something about Jeff that I shouldn't like? Or he's cool, right? Yeah, he's a national treasure. You're good. Okay, yeah. I'm good. Because like, sometimes there's those, like, those, you know, actors out there. Yeah. And then you love them, and then they go and do something fucked up, and you're like, oh, shit. All too I, often. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I can't like you anymore. So far, I could be wrong, but I have not heard anything yeah. unsavory about our beloved Jeff Goldblum. That'd be great. So I think you're good. So you have Jeff Goldblum, and he's just a, you know, young whippersnapper. Then you basically just have the ex-boyfriend and boss of Gina Davis. His oh, character, who's like a complete douche and such you know, a creep. Yeah, but long story short, she gets uh, to know Jeff by you know she's looking at these going to a um, conference for 
scientific inventions and things like that. And um, Jeff Goldblum's kind of a an Einstein-esque character. He's a little eccentric. He's yeah. um, not great with people skills. You know, he's not like a complete aloof, but they even, there's a part in the movie where he, like, she comments that he never changes his clothes, and he's like, what are you talking about? A, you know, this is a <laughs> brand new jacket and everything, and she opens up his closet, and he has five pairs of the same suit, and five pairs of the same shoes, and five pairs of the same, yeah. um, you know, ties, and he's like, I learned that one from Einstein, that way you don't have to think about, you have to waste any brain power on figuring out what right. you're going to wear next. <laughs> You know, so you kind of have this, you know, absent-minded professor-esque type of... I'm sorry, absent-minded isn't quite the right... I think aloof was a a good word. Like, he's kind of... He's just so focused on his work and what he does. He doesn't really have the time or the desire, it seems, to pursue friendships and relationships until he meets Veronica. Yeah, and then they, like, just kind of hit it off really well. And it's not like a cheesy type of thing at all, like... You really don't even get a lot of that backstory or the the, the progression of it. It's just yeah. that she's going to stay with him to document him while he figures this thing out. Yeah. And you just kind of see their interactions from a day-to-day basis. And she's really there in the thick of it while he's going through really the worst trials and tribulations of trying to get the kinks worked out of this thing so that baboons don't turn inside out anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and... You know, she's very supportive of him, and it's just a really, it was a neat relationship, and the way that it just kind of evolved. Yeah, and it, it you're right, it felt very natural and very organic, and it's really like the first 30 minutes of the movie, they, they take the time to really develop these characters and develop their relationship, and it really is done so well, where it just feels like it's two tall, beautiful people naturally falling in love with each other. Yes. It's great. And I want to drive that home because it puts into perspective how sad the ending is. Yes. And, and it's easy to sidestep that because it's great body horror yeah. and great special effects. But it's a really sad ending. It is. And, you know, when we were watching it the first time the other night, we were literally, like, practically cheering during the final transformation scene. But, you know, as it escalates and you see the final result and what Veronica has to do. It's just heartbreaking and tragic. And when I rewatched that scene again, I seriously just almost wanted to cry. It was so sad. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a a really dark and um, gross scene, this transformation where his skin is just starts sloughing off of him and like his, he no longer has any human form at all. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, as things, you know, his eyes are all big and, um, what's that word? With a P, P word. Protruding? Protrude, no, or something else. But anyways, they're big and bulbous and, you know, he looks like, you know, big old, uh, oh, I was trying to remember why that looked so familiar to me while I was watching it. And I was like, man, I feel like I've seen that character before, but obviously I hadn't because it's from 1986. I've never seen this movie before. But if you've ever seen District 9, yeah, I realized that the creatures that are in that movie were 100% taking a leaf out of this book. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I have to see that again because I'm having a hard time remembering exactly what they look like, but I can kind of... No, it's like it. 100%. Like, they watched this before they made a sketch. Nice. <laughs> you know? And yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So that's why it was so familiar. And anyways, throughout this whole transformation, you know, there's this play back and forth 
throughout his continuous degrading this process of him becoming a fly. And you see him, and he's aware of it, too, that he's becoming less human. Yeah. Like, the emotions that he's having are less and less. He's thinking more in very strict terms of survival rather than anything emotional or in a humanitarian thing. But his relationship with her is strong enough that, you know, he holds himself back or he's still able to keep that in the back of his mind. So he's able to hold on to that to rationalize, not just, like, doing whatever the fuck he wants with her or using her body to try to reintegrate himself into a human being. He originally had every intention of doing that because, you know, I'll go into it more in a little bit, but she finds out that she's pregnant with his baby and then he finds out and he basically tries to force her into the machine with him so they can fuse together and integrate into one living being. And as he says, like, be a family of three. But ultimately, as you said, that doesn't work out and he has enough remaining self-awareness like you said to be able to do the right thing and prompt her to end his suffering essentially well no actually what i was getting at there was a scene it was before that at the end he's like all mechanical essentially and insect-like but there is a scene before she goes um that last one where she shows up and i think it is where she goes to tell him that she is pregnant okay or at least to talk to him about it and before she even says anything, he, A, basically, he, like, makes a little bit of a joke about his whole body falling apart and how he's, you know, he's, he's keeping his, like, his ear and his teeth <laughs> and all these different parts of his body and his medicine cabinet and <laughs> makes a joke that it's turned into the Natural History Museum of Brindle. Of Seth, yeah. Of Seth Brindle, yeah. <laughs> but then he's like, why are you here? Then he also makes a comment about politics. You know, insects don't have politics. There is no compromise. Yeah. You know, they they do what they must. And it is complete, like, a survival-based. He, and he's talking about that because he's feeling it. Yeah. Or it's not even a feeling thing. It's just he understands that he's losing the capacity to make empathetic decisions. And that he's not going to be able to refrain himself from hurting her or hurting others. And he says, like, you need to leave. Yeah, he don't says, come back. Distinctly tells her, do yeah. not come back. Yeah, you're so right. And then he says, I'll hurt you if you stay. And yes. I really loved that scene. I wrote down, you know, a couple different quotes from it. But after he does the whole, uh, like, insects politics speech, he says, I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. I really think that hammered home just what you said about how he is becoming aware that he is losing his faculties and losing his human compassion, but he still has just enough self-awareness to realize what's happening. And he's at that point where he's no longer a man turning into a insect. He is an insect that used to be a man. Yeah. Or he's past that point of no return, you know? Like, he's more of the insect than he is of the human being, and now it's just, like he said, a dream. This movie's deep, man. It really is. And then if you... <laughs> I feel like you could really go balls to the walls with the whole transformation thing and get into the um, oh, yeah. the symbolism and what all the meanings are behind that or what the possible meanings are. I feel like there, there are so many and, you know, we could honestly talk all night about this movie and not touch on all of them, but just there are so many huge themes that you can pull out 
throughout this movie. And I feel like the overarching one is what the director himself said that he intended this to be kind of like a depiction of terminal illness or just illness in general. And I wrote that down for this episode, just the, um, not only the body horror element of this movie, but the horror of watching somebody that you love deteriorate before your eyes. And you there's become nothing you somebody can do. that they no longer, you know, not themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's something that tragically you see with a lot of terminal illnesses in the end stages. Like you start losing some of your faculties in a lot of cases you lose your dignity and eventually you can become unrecognizable to your loved ones and just the it did a really good job of capturing the horror and the tragedy of that from from all sides not just the person going through it but the people who love that person Mm -hmm. having to witness it and being powerless absolutely and like you said doing it from the the side of not just that person to touch upon that just a bit more you know, you think about Gina Davis's character where she's already, you know, like obviously she has not been living with him during this time while he's been slowly progressing, but she still loves and cares about him and, you know, is like trying to help him and do whatever she can or just be in touch with him, you know, because she's aware of just how terrifying the situation is. And at the end, even after he, you know, as a fly, almost completely transformed, throws her into this transportation pod so that he can basically use her body to transform him back into something resembling human. Yeah. She's still it's un, it's unspoken, but you get the sense from the her having to kill him and everything else and even when she's in there and reacting to it like she's not angry. Yeah. At him. She's, she's just, scared she's devastated. and devastated. And I feel like using the director's approach of it being, you know, um, illness or something like that. I, I don't know how many people have, you know, listening that have ever had that situation. I, I hope nobody, but I'm, you know, it's life and life has some pretty fucked up experiences. And when you are around somebody that you love and they are deteriorated in that way. You know, they can become angry, they can become violent, they can, you know, become someone you don't even recognize. Yeah. But you don't, like, you can never, even if you are mad at a time, like, you can't stay mad at them because it's not them and they're the victim here. And so it was, it was what I'm circumlocuting to is that it was well done and having a bystander appreciate and, you know, have empathy for for what was going on here, even though they are being put in danger. Yeah, so true. And to me, that's like the mark of a great piece of art is you come away with your own interpretation of it. And there were a lot of theories and a lot of interpretations of this movie, but that one, of course, was the most popular. And of course, also because the director intended it that way. Mm -hmm. But this movie also came out at the peak of the AIDS epidemic when it came out in theater. So a lot of people who were going to see it, you know, took it as a metaphor for that. And I I can definitely see a lot of similarities because, you know, there are a lot of overarching themes of sexuality in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the first, I guess you could call symptoms that Seth has is lesions on his face, which is a symptom, a well-known symptom of AIDS. So people went and saw this movie and they thought, oh, this is totally a metaphor for the AIDS epidemic. And the director was kind of surprised because he hadn't intended it that way at all, but he was also really happy that people were getting so much out of this movie Mm -hmm. 
And there, like I said, there are a lot of different things you can take from it and a lot of themes that it touches on and maybe doesn't focus on for the whole movie. But one that I actually took away from it and I was kind of surprised by it, it definitely, I don't think it would apply to the end of the movie necessarily, but I kept getting the feeling of what it would be like to love somebody who develops a serious addiction. Hmm. And there are a couple reasons for that. One being, you know, this sudden night and day change in Seth's behavior as he becomes obsessed with his work. And, you know, the first time, even the first time he goes into the telepod by himself, he is in a drunken, jealous rage, basically. And after he comes out, you know, he's doing all these crazy gymnastics and he is taking home women from the bar and he has an arm wrestling match with this guy and breaks the shit out of his arm, which is an awesome scene. But his behavior becomes so erratic and he becomes so intoxicated by his power and how he feels. And he also wants other people to feel that way. He wants other people to do it too. And Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't help but think of addiction and people who are in the throes of addiction, like wanting other people to get on that level for with sure. Them. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's that's what really hammered it home for me. It's like not just the the high he was writing, but also the fact that he wanted everybody else to experience what he was experiencing. And I I know with like drugs, a lot of times like people want somebody to ride that high with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they're experiencing, you know, like you said, the the good part of it when they're like first doing it. You know, it's not yeah. like during the the bad portion of yeah you know an addiction where you're you start to deteriorate and yeah you're you have lesions on your face and you've got like fucking meth pox and all that kind of shit yeah you know but when you're just like yeah "Yeah, it's fucking great i can take my car apart at four o'clock in the morning yeah and he's literally doing like gymnastics backflips in the lab and you know veronica's just sitting there watching him kind of not scared but just apprehensive i guess and she's like oh that's that's great honey like that's really cool do you want some breakfast or do you want to maybe like change your clothes or get out of the house or (laughs) so that that one really resonated with me as a a theme probably not intended but that's what i took from it Hmm. that's a good one one other thing that i got out of it to some degree is the idea of which i maybe it's not there but i feel like it had to have been there was definitely some themes that were explored regarding abortion. Yes, I, I wrote and, that and down. And women's rights and having complete ownership of your own body and your own choices. Yes. Both from Seth and what he did. Yeah. Is definitely, and of course with Gina Davis becoming pregnant with Seth's baby. And yeah. it was, you know that it was happened after he had already been infused with the fly. Yeah. You know, so there is definitely the question of what is this genetic material? And she actually has this nightmare of like going through attempting to abort this thing and this larvae fly pod thing, you know, jutting out of her vagina and like slapping all the doctors around in the face. Yeah, all the male doctors. All the male doctors. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I wrote down a lot of notes about that because I really wanted to kind of dive into that and unpack that a little bit. And that was another thing that really impressed me about this movie is there are so many themes that I felt like were ahead of its time. So I, I have a whole list. I have, uh, like, it touches on harassment and power imbalances, uh, specifically in the workplace. Big time. Abortion, terminal illnesses, addiction, assisted suicide. Like, hmm. it's got all of it. It's got all the but, good shit. Yeah, I know both of us were 
pleasantly surprised when that whole thing played out. And we're like, damn, this is a really good, like, commentary on abortion and bodily autonomy and just a woman's right to choose. And there you have Veronica, this young journalist who is put in this position basically like by these two men who are in different ways like fighting for control over her body to advance their own sense of humanity. And like with her boss slash ex-boyfriend, uh, Stathis, you know, during the exposition and the story building, she tells Seth that, you know, he was an old boyfriend, but he's actually the one who helped her get her journalism job. And I, I think she said he was her teacher or her mentor or something. She was so, her teacher. Yeah, yeah. so the, you definitely get a sense that there was a major power imbalance. And this guy is just such an asshole and such a creep. And, you know, she's really trying to do everything she can to get this big break and do this story and branch off on her own. And she, she tries everything she can to keep it from him because I think she knows, like, she needs to break away from him. Mm -hmm. But he holds so much power over her. And they really reinforce that by, like, not too long into the movie, she comes home to her apartment, and he's in her fucking shower. Yeah. He's just, just in her shower. shower. Yeah, and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I still have your key, like, threatening her, holding that over her head, and he refuses to give it back to her. He shows up whenever he feels like it. He follows her from Seth's place to the store and yells at her in this department store. He grabs her arm aggressively, like, just a piece of shit. Yeah, big time. And I think they did such a good job of showing how that kind of power imbalance can play out and how trapped some people can be in a harassment type situation where like, yes, they could technically leave and go find another job, but this person literally holds their career in the palm of their hand and they can destroy it. Right. And so they're easily. a big time publisher, like the head yeah. of the publishing um, and it's her uh, magazine. first journalism. So job. you know how those connections are, and especially yeah. in they're in New York, right? Yeah. He could ruin her. So, easily. you know, all those people are connected. They all have contacts with each other. How hard is it to say like, you know, whatever the fuck you want, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. You know, to, and again, it was kind of, it reminded me of, just in the sense of a situation where it's the, the difference between, even though she went to school, but the difference between someone kind of working their way up through a specific um, company and somebody like getting a, uh, a degree or a doctorate or some kind of licensing or something like that. Because, yeah. you know, that person that worked their way up through the company, um, did it the hard way, mm -hmm. they're probably far more knowledgeable and far more uh, equipped at doing the job that needs to be done. But they don't have that, like, credential to throw up in uh, another employer's face to yeah. say, I'm worthwhile and I know what I'm saying. All they have to go on is their experience. Exactly. So, and that's, and for a woman in the 80s that's doing a, you know, journalistic job that has this uh, possessive and uh, creep of an ex-boyfriend that is the, has gotten her to that point mm -hmm. and who has held this against her and yeah. over her head, you know, what is she going to do? Use him for a reference? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like, no way. That was so well portrayed. And then they, they really hammer home, like, how much of a, a hold he has over her and how much power he has over her when she finds out she's pregnant and she has this nightmare of, like, the maggot abortion. And she says, like, she actually says the words, I want an abortion. I want it out of my body. She says over and over, it's my body. I want it out. I don't want it in me anymore. And she still has to take Stathis, her ex-boyfriend, with her to the doctor so that he can convince the doctor to give her what she wants. Right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that it's he's, they're not together. Like, just any random swing and dick, she's got to yeah. bring him to the doctor to be like, 
a man agrees with me. Yeah. Take this thing out of Yeah, me. and then the doctor is still asking the man, like, well, are you the father? Is it your kid? Like, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? And she was like, I want it out of my body. And then he tries to push further. And he's like, well, we can do some tests and see how it'll turn out. And she's like, I don't want tests. I want an abortion. Yeah. Like, I was like, damn, like, that is... Yeah, for a movie in 1986, yeah. like I said, this thing held up really well. It touched on a lot of it deep, did. difficult sub subjects. Yeah, and, like, really controversial topics, but they're so important to talk about. And I thought that was so well done. And then, you know, I'll touch on the assisted suicide as well. Like, that's that's a controversial topic, and that's something that is still hotly debated and gets people really heated. But, you know, ultimately, as we know... um, in the final transformation scene, Seth is trying to break out of the telepod because Stathis uh, shot the control panel and it said, fusion of Brundlefly and telepod successful. And I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I was like, oh shit. Like yeah. I was full of dread. I was dreading to see what would come out of that machine. Mm-hmm. And it was just so heartbreaking. Like he's just crawling out of the telepod and he has this like metal machinery fused with his body and he's dragging himself on the floor and he's like, making this awful groaning sound and Veronica, Gina Davis's character, is just sobbing, like yeah. these heart-wrenching sobs, and she grabs the shotgun to go shoot him and then drops it, and then he grabs it with his fly hand and like points it at him, like, please just do this for me. And she's like, I can't, I can't, and then ultimately she does. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. It cuts out with her sobbing hysterically after she just, like, shot the love of her life. Absolutely. Like, it is heartbreaking. And I, like I said, I, I feel, and again, I could be reading into this a little bit more than it can be or should be, but I think there are elements to Seth Brindle... What, what Brindle? Seth Brindle, yeah. Seth, Seth Brindle and his transformation and ultimately everything that he tries to do to save himself as well as everything that he does uh, in the end that are elements that can be tied into the whole having autonomy over your own body Absolutely. and having an foreign genetic material forcing its way through your genes transforming who you are making it so you'll never be the same person again and even though it is ultimately you know, like, you can make the argument, well, you should never have sex, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, it was his decision to yeah. go in and do that thing. Like, yeah. he did that. But, of course, he doesn't want to be fused with a fucking fly. Obviously. Like, that was, that was a like, tragic accident. That was a tragic fucking happens. accident. Yeah. Like, shit fucking happens, condoms break. Yeah. You know? And um, just everything that it does to him and the decisions that he is willing to make to save himself to get back to some form of normalcy... At the end, when he's just so fucking desperate. Again, I said it could be reading into a little bit much on that front. I you don't know, think it probably so at all. is, but I don't think so. I, I I just like to tie in where I can um, different motifs. Yeah, no, like I said, this movie is deep as hell. Like there is it so was. much you can get from it. So you brought it up for like momentarily, and then I had to jump into the Brenda Wolf thing being tied to the possibly uh, abortion motifs, but uh, I, I feel like we didn't give it it's due justice to talk about the assisted suicide aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Cause like you said, it's a controversial subject yeah. today and to have that in there in 1986 and the way that it played out. And to me, this is a, like, I feel very strongly about this 
yeah. assisted suicide. You know, I, I feel about like 100% in favor of assisted suicide. And I feel like it is such a, you know, you can make, I don't, you know, this isn't a, a soapbox journey. And that's not the point of this whole thing. But I just really wanted to tie in to or just emphasize how important it is and how impressive it is that a movie that has already going in and doing a lot of other important work in terms of bringing to light these controversial subjects of that we already touched upon that literally the last thing they do is leave you with that and i really appreciated the way that this movie ended that was actually one of the things i enjoyed or liked about it um the most i want to say the most but i really appreciated the fact that they and again it ties into the fact that this really felt like a play because at least the plays that I've seen so far. Again, mm-hmm. I haven't seen that many, but they kind of end on both a both a bang, but also on kind of just a blackness. Like it just stops. You know, like you don't get kind of a, a nice pan out of what you know the the future of their lives were like or anything like that. It's just kind of like you know, build, 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 intensity, 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 build, 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 bang, bye. Exactly. And that is what this movie felt like at the end. And you get that final thing of the woman that loves him having to be the one to pull the trigger, even though the other guy is there and could possibly try to shoot the shotgun with his one not melted hand. You know, it's ultimately her. And she could have left him like that to die on his own. She could have left him like that to be a potent prodded. And that was something else is that he brought up before, you know, Mm -hmm. she was saying like, you need to go see help. Yeah. And he's like, no way. No yeah. way am I just going to go get, you know, turn into the, the national experiment where people, you know, I'm just a guinea pig yeah. and a, a Petri dish. And I feel like that is a sentiment that a lot of people that, again, are in a terminally ill situation, you know, with whatever it may be. I'm not going to name anything specific, but where it is 100% terminal. And they're like, no, I do not want to go to the doctor and have my life extended by three months, six months, maybe even a year, if it means that I'm going to be tortured and, you know, imprisoned and sick, sicker than I already am. Dehumanized. Dehumanized. Like, I don't want that. And so having that at the very end where she was the one that had to do that and it was with love and out of love and compassion that she put him out of misery. Damn, this is a good movie. Now that we're talking about it, like, <laughs> you know, I was, I had like one rating for this thing and then another one and yeah. it just keeps on ratcheting it up. Same here. It's, it's so rich. Yes. I love it. Fine wine. It is so good. <laughs> so we talked about all the just immensely heartbreaking shit in this movie. I just want to take a few moments to gush over the fantastic horror moments, since this is, after all, a celebration of horror. And body horror. And body horror. So, the goddamn fingernails. Right? I don't like the fing- I cannot handle fingernail shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I named the, maybe it was the Star of Echoes episode, where it's like, fingernails, teeth, eyeballs, and compound fractures or bones breaking through skin which you had almost all of those in this movie it hits them off one by one and it does not hold back it does not pull any punches like 
I remembered the fingernail scene being gross, but I really didn't expect the effect to hold up quite as well as it did, where, you know, it's kind of, they really take their time with the transformation at first, which is really awesome. Like, it's very gradual. It starts off with, like, those bristly hairs growing out of a cut in his back, and then, uh, you know, he starts getting the lesions on his face. His color becomes off. He starts vomiting up these uh, digestive enzymes to dissolve his food mm-hmm. because he can't eat anymore. And then it gets to the point where his ears are falling off. Things are falling off of him. His teeth are falling his out because they're no longer out. useful. And then, like, there's that scene in the bathroom where he just he's just standing in front of the mirror and looking at his hand. And he's like, oh, and he just starts pulling off his fingernails. And then he, like, points, at one point, he points one of his fingers at the mirror and just squeezes it. And this white, like, pus (laughs) shoots out of his finger and splats on the mirror. And I was just like, God damn it, stop it. Like, I can't watch, I can't watch this stuff. But it's like, it's like a car wreck. You can't look away. Like, it's horrifying, but you can't look away. Because also, it looks I feel so like good. that's exactly what I, if I was in that situation. Like I'm a I'm a picker. Like I pick my scabs and like I know I, I constantly have to slap your hand away. I'm yeah, like, stop like I can't it. tell you how many like nails I've torn off and stuff like oh, that. So like if I felt like my fingernail coming off, I couldn't. I could not not tear that thing off. I know. I looked I at you during that scene and I was like, and that's same you. thing with the fingers yeah. when they're like that, and you just like that's you, hundred sure. percent. Like yeah. you would be doing that shit. Oh, so gross. And then there's the uh, the arm wrestling scene. What do you think about that? That was a pretty... It was kind of a fun, campy scene. Yeah. Like, that you saw... Like, I mean, we saw yeah. it coming, but that's that's another thing that really gets to I me. I know that you like, don't like the compound fracture stuff. I cannot handle, like, bones breaking through skin. And we, we got to the bottom of that recently, of why that probably yeah. is. But, you know, just to reiterate, when I was, uh, like, two or three, I witnessed... One of my grandparents' employees was involved in a horrible accident. There was an explosion, and he had a compound fracture in his leg. And apparently, I saw the whole thing, and well, it she, traumatized like, me. Didn't even remember until like this last year. Yeah, it was like a repressed memory that came up recently, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, that explains so much. Like, I hate loud noises, I hate fireworks, and I hate compound fractures. Yeah, always, there's always a reason. Now we know why. I'm working the scientific through it. world. I'm working through it little by little, but I still hated that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, of course, the basically just the entire last ten minutes of the movies. But I wrote I wrote a note on here at some point. I don't even remember writing this, but I wrote how awesome would it be if you could just vomit on all of your enemies and dissolve and dissolve their, their flesh. <laughs> Like, like Stathis shows up. Yeah. I don't even necessarily remember. I think he followed her there because yeah. he follows her everywhere like mm-hmm. a creep. But Seth at this point is almost has almost completed his transformation into Brundlefly, and he's kidnapped Veronica. That's right. He kidnaps Veronica from the abortion That's clinic right. yeah. and brings her back to the lab, and he's trying to throw her into the machine. And Stathis shows up, and Seth just grabs his hand, looks at it for like a few seconds, and just vomits on it, and then we watch it in like almost slow his motion as his like hand just like a candle. disintegrates, yeah. <laughs> and he's screaming. And then, as if that's not bad enough, like he falls to the ground. And then Seth looks, you know, he's like twitching like a fly at this point. Looks at his foot, vomits on his foot, and then his foot disintegrates <laughs> yeah. and falls off. And so it's like, like, oh my god, <laughs> like it's so fucked get up. down and stay down. <laughs> so he's missing. Poor guy, like you know, he's an asshole. But that was that was brutal. I don't know if he deserved to have this. Yeah, like, he's got this little stump of a hand, a disintegrated yeah. foot. And that final transformation scene was just one of the best 
horror moments. It really is. Like, I love the thing. Yeah. But that, and that was, to me, the thing was one of the best, like, transformational body, you know, old school, practical effect, body horror type of things. Yeah. But this, I think this tops it for me. Like, this was... I think so, too. I I don't even really have words for it. Like, if you haven't seen it, and even if you don't watch movies, and you don't want to watch this movie, just look up this last... Now, it won't have the same impact, because you're not going to have, like, the emotional depth of the characters. Yeah. But just for the special effects of it, it's really good. Oh, man. That... That first instance where, you know, uh, Seth is trying to drag Veronica towards the telepod, and she, like, grabs his face to try and push him off of her. And his jaw. entire jaw comes off in her hand, and her acting on this whole part is just phenomenal. But she's, like, looking at the jaw, disembodied jaw, looking at him, and just screaming, and then she throws it to the ground... And then his entire face just rips apart. His skin starts just fluffing off. off. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so awesome. And then the, they give like a brief, um, quick look at the jaw on the ground, and the jaw's still like twitching on the oh ground. Oh god, it's so good. <laughs> I know both of us were like, "Holy shit, that's so awesome!" <laughs> it was so satisfying to watch as like a horror fan, and and it just know. comes on like again. You've been seeing this <sighs> whole transformation take place. Pretty slowly, yeah. In a lot of ways, and uh, you know the rate of change uh, is increasing over time, so it happens faster and faster. And he looks pretty fucked up, but still human at the start of this transformation scene before she rips his jaw off. But the moment that happens, all of a sudden it's just like balls to the walls, like everything's coming yeah. out. And so because you're not, you haven't like seen that much change at once yeah. either. That's another thing that makes it such a strong thing. Like it just. It was building and overwhelming. It was so rewarding. Yes. To watch. Like, that was amazing. And like I said, I went back and watched just that scene two more times because it was so awesome. I'm actually kind of regretting not buying that movie now. We just rented it to watch it, but now I kind of wish that I owned it because I I would absolutely watch that again and again. Yeah. And if there's anybody that is listening that happens to work or know Amazon or anybody that works for these fucking streaming businesses, I think Voodoo finally does it. But yes. why the fuck can't you apply your rental fee to buying the goddamn movie? Yes, that needs to be a thing. That, on I want to start a riot yes, over that. Let's do it. Like what the fuck? So if anybody <laughs> knows anybody that can yeah. talk to somebody, Pass please it along. do. It's fucking ridiculous. You should be able to apply your rental to buying the movie. You'll make more money. I feel like we have gushed over this movie so much. I I don't know if you still want to, but I I don't know if we even need to touch on our favorite three elements because we already you I think know, we, we, went we the gushed over. If the... I can just touch on one little funny yeah. thing real quick. Yeah. Because there's the part where he's like just feeling on top of the world and mm-hmm. he's like out, you know, like trying to bang whoever he can and like just because um uh, Gina Davis is like, dude, chill out. Yeah. You're messed out right now. Yeah. Um but he goes and finds this like bar chick, you know, mm-hmm. and brings her back home. And uh, in the middle of the night, you know, and uh, there's a part where he, he jumps into the pod and he's like been drinking, but he's just feeling on top of the world. You know, he's just running at 125 percent, you know, Yeah. and he's got no shirt on and his like pants are like undone or the belt buckle is undone or something. But he just like jumps into this pod and he's just breaks out the other side <laughs> and like jumps in her face where his crotch is like right in her face. And I'm just like thinking in my head, just like. Hey, you ever sucked and transported cock before? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So like, good. he doesn't say that, but he's thinking it. Yes. <laughs> that also leads up to the iconic line that so many movies have 
immortalized after that, the be afraid, be very afraid. And you just reminded me, I you're going to love this, but uh, apparently Mel Brooks was a producer for this movie. No shit. Not the producer, but he was a yeah. producer, and he actually came up with that line. Really? Nice. Yeah, like as he was reading the script, he was like, he didn't say this should be a line in the movie, but he was basically saying like, this is how the audience should feel seeing this movie. Mm. So they, that's thanks to Mel Brooks, which I thought was super awesome. Yeah. I would have never associated oh, him with no. this movie, which yeah, is so no, cool. Never. He actually purposely didn't want people to know he had anything to do with this because they were worried. He was worried they wouldn't take it seriously because he's so well, yeah, well known for Brooks. being yeah. funny. Yeah. So I thought that was really awesome. awesome. But oh man, yeah, that just all of those scenes were gold. Yes. So well done. So yeah, I mean the the three. I did write down three. It was like the practical effects, the the dialogue and the score. Like it felt so theatrical and just the the character development and how emotional this movie was. But Mm -hmm. like we already touched on so much, like there are so many interpretations you can take from this and so many themes and so much to dive into. That makes me want to talk about our beer pairing for this movie. All right. So what did we decide would be the perfect beer to go with the fly? This felt like a blood orange IPA. You needed something that was bitter, but also had some sweetness to it that had enough alcohol in it to really give you your bang for your buck and to just have that element of it's that i'm sure there's a word in german for it but it's that that threshold of something both possibly tasting like shit yeah but also tasting good <laughs> and it's juicy and it's juicy yeah this is definitely a ju- juicy this is a juicy movie literally and figuratively yes. this is a juicy film yes <laughs> so you need a juicy blood orange ipa yes any any brewery, any brand, uh, you know, as you know, I don't really like IPAs, but there is that one from, I think it's Latitude 33. Yeah. They make the, the mango habanero one that I really like, but the they have a blood orange IPA that's pretty good. That's pretty good, yeah. yeah. That would pair nicely with this movie. Yeah, I would, I would do that one. That's a California brewery, so I don't know, you know, how widely available it is, but any blood orange IPA you can find. I'm sure it'll do just fine. Yeah. So, I'm sure nobody will be surprised by what we rate this but on a scale of one to 12 beers what would you rate the fly so when i got done watching the movie i was ready to give it a ten and a half yeah then i rewatched the end scene and i bumped it up to 11 now that we're done talking about it i i cannot justify not giving it a 12 i cannot think of what would degrade this like what it did wrong I 100% agree. I I did the exact same thing. I I finished this movie and I was going to give it a 10 and a half only because it's not, like I said, it's not my typical subgenre of choice. Mm -hmm. I don't typically go for the body horror, but after talking about it and thinking about it so much, revisiting it again, rewatching the ending again, I cannot think of a good reason to give it anything less than a 12. This is a perfect horror movie. Yeah. And like I said, especially if you take into context when it was made, but not even like not even giving it that kind of a handicap. I can't think of what it did wrong. I can't either. Yeah. So I'm, I'm giving it a 12 out of 12. No shame. No shame. So before we reveal what we're doing for our next episode, I wanted to let you know that we received our second email. And I was so excited. And it's from my friend Nicole. So it's kind of a a shorter one, so I can just read it directly if you want. But she gave us an example of uh, something that traumatized her in horror and also um, some reflections she had about our episode on The Good Son that I thought were really, really well spoken. So it says, Hi, Alicia and Greg. Love the flow of your podcast. You know that I'm not a horror fan, so I'm not great at recommendations. 
I obsess over true crime, but can't handle the fake stuff. But I do have something that comes to mind for traumatizing horror. I was somewhat recently, like within my adulthood, traumatized by an episode of American Horror Story Freak Show, Episode 8, Bloodbath. Alicia, have you watched this season? Not sure if the clown turned you away. Anyways, although it has been a few years since I have watched this episode, I still get chills thinking about Jessica Lange's characters, Elsa, flashback to how she lost her leg. I'm able to detach myself from a lot of the concepts of the horror in the show, but a snuff film of someone using a chainsaw to saw off someone's leg feels too close to real-life horrors. The idea of people finding joy in torture is especially traumatizing. Mm. So before I go to the last part of the email, I just wanted to comment on that. Um, I haven't watched all of the American Horror Story episodes, but I I don't know if you remember, I tried watching that season uh, by myself. I started it one night when you had to work late, and... She totally called it. Like, I turned it off because of that fucking clown. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, I, does, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I absolutely hate clowns, and I'm not a huge fan of that show. Like, that, I have a lot of issues with it, but I really liked the first season. I really liked the third season. I tried watching that one, and after the whole thing with the clown, I was home by myself. It was at night. I was like, you know what? I can't. I'm not doing this. I turned it off. But, uh, Nicole, I actually remember you telling me about that scene, how much that freaked you out. And that that's, if I'm going to get scared by a horror movie or like a horror concept, that is also the kind of stuff that freaks me out. Like things that can really happen, like scenes of torture or just immense human cruelty. Like mm-hmm. that scares me as well. Yeah. It is. It's terrifying. So that's, that's a good one. And she shared some reflections with us that were inspired by our last episode that I thought were really compelling and also really important to just take into account with everything going on right now with the coronavirus and people being stuck in their homes. But she said, also, I wanted to reflect back on the conversation where Greg shared his real life experiences with his cousin. The biggest anxiety I have right now with COVID-19 is thinking about how many people, specifically children, because I'm a mother, are stuck inside with their abusers. Not only are children going to be abused by adults, but they may also be abused by other children, siblings, cousins, etc. You know, she goes on to say, um, how will this create new cycles of abuse for future generations? And now I'm freaking out about how serial killers can be created from toxic environments. Okay, I'm going to move on now. Love you guys. Raise (laughs) a beer and cheers, Nicole. Cheers, Nicole. (laughs) Cheers, Nicole. And thank you so much for your email. And, you know, I have to say that's something I've really thought a lot about, too. Like the type of things that I can't help but think about. But I, I definitely have reflected on how terrifying it must be for so many people to be trapped at home with their abusers and trapped in bad situations. And I just thank you for bringing that to light. I think that's really important that people are aware of that. And thank you, Nicole. It's great to hear from you. Yeah, it's a great email. Thank you for reaching out and for sharing uh, what traumatized you. We love hearing people's uh, stories of horror elements that have stuck with them and, you know, dug into their crawl. Absolutely. So, you know, as always, if anybody has uh, questions for us, stories they'd like to share movies that traumatized you, suggestions for movies or beer. And on this one, if there's any um, creatures that we missed, as far as, like, your favorite uh, horror creature. Yes, uh, I'd love to, because I was having a hard time initially, like, trying to think of some, and then, you know, obviously I I visited some of the, like, best of lists, which I didn't think were, like, super great lists, most of them. Yeah, same. Uh, So I'd be interested to see if anybody had anything different than uh, what we already brought up here. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have any of those things to share with us, you can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. 
And you can also follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. So before we close out, this week it was my pick. I'm anxious to see what you picked for our next episode. So I've been... This has been eaten at me the entire episode because I've had basically three movies that I was trying to determine which one was going to be my pick. And they're nothing alike from each other. Still having a hard time picking it, so I'm just going to throw a dart right now. And since it's probably the one that I have seen um, or haven't seen in the longest time, I'm going to go with American Psycho. Nice. I knew it. I knew you were going to pick that one. <laughs> I've been dying to watch that Yeah, again. it's been a long time. Like, I, I really nice. want to see both of the other ones again, too, because I love them both. Okay, awesome. so, so American Psycho. Um, nice. Next week, we're going to be talking about American Psycho, and we look forward to uh, having sharing some beers with you and sharing some mores. Oh, one last thing, if we can note. If you were appreciating the uh, soundtrack on that was overlaid uh, over the entire course of this uh, podcast that was brought to you by our uh, super loud party animal neighbor <laughs> that uh, can't even keep it down on a Tuesday. So if you if we weren't able to cut that out as well as we were hoping to, we apologize and um, we're doing our we're doing our best here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.